This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. So you arranged this rendezvous in order to audition your new show for me, hoping I would invest. <gasps> Nailed it! So, what's the story of your show? The story. Ah, yes. Uh... There'll be lovers and singers and entrepreneurs, depravity, ecstasy, love that endures, worthy of even the best rock on tour, a tale in the shadows of dear Sacre Coeur. We see along the sun upon its filth. The bloated corpses of those killed the nights before But it's a family show with art both high and low A tale of love and death and sex and money Dancing and away we go Sweet Satina who plays our ingenue A sparrow singing up and down each avenue She wears a thin black dress and tells a tale of woe Not all as these things go She's rather sick With some obscure malaise No doubt a cruel trick From wilder desperate days But one day singing through her pain The sun kicks out the rain And there he stands a lover Yes, one day everything changes When she meets a man A man unlike any she has known He's, uh... A ventriloquist? No! He's a matador, striding across the sands of destiny! No, no, no! He's a sailor! Yes, a sailor! That's it! A man who has spent his life voyaging across the turbulent seas! He's been searching for a mate, and now it seems like fate, a gift from God above. A love divine forevermore, their bodies intertwined. But fate has many other things in store. There's a man who already claims her an evil gangster who runs this town. She's unhappy and no one blames her. The most lascivious racketeer around. He buys her love. He buys her clothes. He's rough, but this is all the poor girl knows. He buys her Taken shape. And so the sailor, driven mad, determined to unseat this cat, swears to risk his life for love. And there's our show, all of the above. Spectacular savagery. A testament to lunacy. Fun for the whole family. And all of it designed by me. So exciting. The audience will stomp and cheer. So delighting. This will run for 50 years. So exciting. Make them laugh and make them cry. So delighting. And in the end, should someone die? So cool way to start the show theatre nerds you are backstage again with mel and mike and boy do we have an episode up our sleeves for you today we are very happy and very proud to declare that this is this is in fact our 100th episode 
You heard him right. That's right. 100 episodes of Yarns About Theatre spanning the world in the last, I don't know, couple of thousand years. Uh, if you're new here, I'm Mel, he's Mike, and you can catch up on Backstage on any of your favourite podcast streaming apps. They include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and accessmedia.nz. 100 episodes. How proud are we? So Excellent. proud. Good stuff. Hitting the stage soon in Tauranga at the Detour Theatre is the Hard Case Hotel. Written and directed by Devin Williamson, who takes us back in time to 1936 and the last resort luxury hotel for the wild, the weird and the wacky rich who have been banned from the five-star hotels of Europe. Under the management of the flamboyant and indomitable Juan Carlos, no guest is too difficult, no situation impossible. That is until today. Today, a guest has been murdered and with the hotel coincidentally cut off by flash flooding Juan Carlos is going to have to find out which of the oddball guests is the killer and why what a riot Uh, like so many of the creative communities Detour will be so thrilled to make it through this wave of Omicron relatively unscathed I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you guys Uh, though if there's anything we've learned recently it's that anything can happen at any time Mm -hmm. again fingers crossed and with that in mind, let's get our calendars out for everything we know of coming up around the place soonish. Okay. At the Meteor, they're still doing the uh, bathrooms there at the moment. They're apparently on schedule, though, so they'll be opening soon to get back into the swing of things. And the Sherpa and the Beekeeper is coming up, written and directed by Matt Kambick. It is on stage May 26th to the 29th. At Rivoli Theatre, uh, HMT are in rehearsal for Blood Brothers. That's directed by Angela Walker and goes on stage May 14th to the 28th. And Geezers by Tommy Lee Johnston, directed by Mike Williams, has been postponed to August. New dates are August 20th to September the 3rd. Excellent. Clarence Street Theatre, Friends the Musical parody is on stage one night only, May the 6th. Excuse me. <coughs> May the 6th. May the 6th. Yes. Sorry, a little bit of saliva went down the wrong way there. <laughs> <laughs> and Shrek, the musical directed by Nick Wilkinson, is postponed to the July school holidays. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, directed by David Sidwell, is coming up in July. Though I haven't seen any updates on the Hamilton Operatic Society page uh, for a little while, so I'm just assuming. We, well, we assume until we're told otherwise. That's right. At Navarra Lounge, open mic night tonight and every Wednesday. Doors open from 6pm if you want to watch. And if you want to perform, bookings are essential, so do that in advance. You can message Ivan on the Navarra Lounge Facebook page. Uh, on Saturday, m- March the 19th, Diablo's Caravan are playing. In Cambridge at the Gaslight Theatre, Conjugal Rights by Sir Roger Hall is opening April 30th, running to May the 14th. Over in Matamata at the Dramatic Society, Any Port in a Pandemic by Richard Previtt. That's on stage April the 23rd until the 30th. Potaruru Theatre Players are still rehearsing Moonshine, the musical. Uh, that's still scheduled to hit the stage in late April. Thames Music and Drama... Uh, staging Mamma Mia, directed by Diane Connors. That's hitting the stage in May. Rotorua Musical Theatre Song Contest, the Almost Eurovision Experience, directed by John Drummond, is opening March 25th, running to April the 9th. Over in Tauranga at the Detour Theatre, as we've mentioned, the Hard Case Hotel by Devin Williamson, March 24th until April the 9th. Tauranga Musical Theatre are doing That Bloody Woman, directed by Daryl Nitschke, from April 27th until May the 2nd. And the 16th Avenue Theatre are doing Ngā Puki, or The Hills, from the 22nd 
second to the 25th of April. That's their Anzac special. And it'll be a good play too. Mm. I know a couple of people involved in that. Theatre Whakatane, School of Rock, the musical, directed by Sue Harris, opening April 27th, running to May the 14th. By way of upcoming auditions and opportunities, Hamilton Playbox have auditions this coming weekend for Sherlock Holmes, the Baker Street Irregulars at Riverley Theatre. You can look up Hamilton Playbox on Facebook for all of the details you need to audition. And Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge have announced auditions for The Things I Know to Be True by Andrew Bovell and directed by Chrissy Hodgkinson, April the 2nd for auditions. You can get all the information you need on their Facebook page. And Tokoroa Little Theatre are hoping to stage a youth musical production in July with Lana Ahomero seeking interest from potential musical or vocal directors. You can send a message through their Facebook page to express your interest. As always, we'll be announcing all the productions and opportunities we know of as we hear of them. If there is a show or audition that you want us to spread the word about, email us on backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or just let us know when you see us around next.
Tango de Roxanne from our Musical of the Week, which this week is Moulin Rouge. You might have got that from our opening track as well. The stage version, though, because the film is a totally different horse of a different colour altogether. Mel will be telling us all about that in a little while. But since we're here on our wonderful centenarian episode, is it? Our 100th episode, we discovered a little Kiwi musical titled City of, a Thousand, of, City of a Hundred Lovers. And we thought we might like to discuss some of the controversy that surrounds it. <laughs> we might like to, indeed. Uh, by little Kiwi musical, Mike actually means effing huge spectacular <laughs> staged in uh, 2018 at the Auckland Sky City Theatre with an $8 million budget. A what? 150 costumes, a Mission Bay-based investor, a Tony Award-nominated creative contributor, 26 cast members, 16 songs, 11 of them original works. On the face of it, it should work, shouldn't it? It should work on the face of it. <laughs> By controversy, I mean, there was plenty of it, actually. Let me paint a picture for you. November 2018, right? And a very expensive musical is not doing very well at the box office, which, to be fair, happens all the time around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, People take a punt, they think this will work, but not so much. But according to the New Zealand Herald, this one in particular did abysmally. So much so that the 800-seat theatre that it was playing in was more than 90% empty for most of its performances. Already that's a huge... That's already that's that's huge. How can you run a musical with 10% capacity? Let let us go on. That means that this musical, City of a Hundred Lovers, which, as I mentioned, has a cast of 26 and a budget of more than 5 million US dollars, is playing to an audience of about 70 people in an 800-seat venue every night. According to the reviews, City of a Hundred Lovers just wasn't very good, and it was a boring, patriotic pageant, according to one reviewer. I have to say, Cast of 26 also is very, very large for a professional production. Yes, it is. Before we go into what Mel's just alluded to there, though, check out this interview with the creator, Justin Brown. He was on TV3's The Cafe around the time the show was opening back in 2018. Well, City of a Hundred Lovers is a multi-million dollar musical comedy which showcases the places, culture and way of life that attracts millions of tourists to Tamaki Makoto each year. It's a resident show and it's designed to become a permanent fixture at Sky City. It's written by best-selling and award-winning author Justin Brown who joins us right now. Welcome, Justin. Hi, guys. Good to see you. Really nice to have you here. It's kind of weird having you here because we've been friends for many, many years. So nice to be interviewing you. You were on the show earlier this year with your book Kiwi Speak, which I missed because I was travelling at the time. Cuba. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. it tough life. I saw the Instagram pics. Yeah, good. Was, yeah. That was what you were meant Wanted to do. Wanted to be there. Yeah, good. Yeah, that yeah. Goal achieved then. <laughs> good to have you back here for this. Yes, yeah, good to be here. So Kiwi Speak was obviously la- the last one. That's among 30 books for adults and children. Bowling Through India is just another one of them. We know you from radio as well. Is this a first for you in terms of a script? Yeah, this is, uh, it's kind of out there for me. Like, I'm typically used to dealing with a, write a book, give it to an editor. Uh, is it good? Is it bad? Should we publish it? Should we not publish it? This uh, was, uh, just came completely out of left field, but I love challenges. And um, they said to me, do you want to put together a, a, a plot for a musical? And I said, sure. And I got in the car and went, how do you do that? <laughs> and then uh, came up with um, The City of a Hundred Lovers. So... Um, Vincent Water, myself, uh, the movie director, we sat down and we had a great four days uh, as a creative. This is my favourite part of being a creative. Whiteboard, flat whites, let's try and come up with a plot. And so when I googled a co- upon um, Tamaki Makoto, which translates to City of a Hundred Lovers, mm. I went, wow, that's like a golden egg. And yeah. so then I built a script around um, a love story. Um, but the City of a Hundred Lovers actually translates... Uh, 
in, in my terms anyway, to city, um, to love of the land and love of the people, not necessarily people walking around snogging uh, like hundreds <laughs> yeah, well, of people. Well, that would be something quite, that'd be That's interesting in a musical another well, musical like, altogether. It really is. Yeah, so it was a real privilege to put it together, but there's 158 people in the show, so I purely, I laid the egg, I gave the, the document to a guy in, in America, Peter Kellogg, who's a Broadway writer, he put it together and over the, over the last year we've now done the dance and we've worked together which lines are good, which mm. lines aren't good. And, and, and so City of 100 And here's your baby. Born. You know what's wow. fascinating though, you just mentioned, you just dropped that name in there before, that you and Vincent Ward sat down with the whiteboard. Now Vincent Ward, I mean I studied Vigil at school, um, What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. Um, he's done so many amazing mm. movies. Was that like a pinch me moment for you? Completely, completely and utterly. And we could just, you know, a bit of Pinot Gris involved and uh, to come up with an idea, but the, that's, that's my favourite, absolute favourite part of it. So it was a, it was a great honour to work with, to work with mm. Vincent Ward. And we'd have arguments, we'd have uh, like, you know, he'd say, well, that idea's crap. Okay, well, give me something better. And we like, I'm and, arguing with Vincent Ward But that's Ward my favourite part because you have to argue and be ruthless with an idea before you get something which uh, everyone will appreciate on stage. So described as a musical comedy, what is it actually about? Uh, it's about a, a Sally is a um, recently divorced New York food writer, and she's just um, dumped her husband Don, and she's in New York, and her Australian because uh, there's a very annoying Australian in the in the show, which is important. <laughs> uh, and uh, so Deed, Deedy, she gives uh, Sally a job to go to the City of Hundred Lovers uh, to write a to write a, a, a show about to write about food right and so she says great city of 100 lovers is it buenos aires is it paris and it's like auckland oh god <laughs> and so she flies over here she falls in love with a charming uh, maori tour guide called tj but of course uh, halfway through escalation happens and don turns up he's the ex-husband and his helicopter wanting to buy land and uh Dee, Dee turns up too she's the annoying australian and she does a <laughs> hilarious song about uh having a fling Halfway through, there's a, there's a bed scene, it's quite funny, uh, which was my daughter's favourite part of the show, it was very weird. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's effectively the story. She falls in love with TJ, falls in love with the land, but will she go back with Don or will she, um, you know, stay here in New Zealand with TJ? Oh, that sounds really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Huge cast, as you said, and there's a haka in it, which is something quite special. Oh, the haka is, yeah, it's, it's amazing because we dealt with um, Paura Sharples um, and Waharoi Shortland and they were incredible at flipping the haka. So whenever we see the haka, I don't speak today properly, even at all actually. So when I hear the All Blacks do the haka, I don't know what they're doing. I know it's just scary. Mm. So these guys have absolutely flipped it and the, the women in black, instead of the All Blacks, we're using the women in black in this because we wanted to, and they, they do a haka at the end in English which is horrific. And like, when, you, when you hear it, we're gonna, I can't even say the words they use in this, but again, it was my daughter's favourite part of the show. We're going to rip out your blah, 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 and all this uh -huh. sort of stuff. And so they've actually flipped it to be in English so that we can understand what the haka wow. is. And I, it was wow. one of my favourite parts of the show because, uh, and my sister-in-law too, she said um, when she watches the show, it, it's reflective of her as a Kiwi. That was the biggest compliment. She said, I actually see what I'm like when tourists arrive here. This is what people see. Wow. wow. So, yeah, it's fun. So Tony, the director, is f from New York. What does he make of our local talent? He loved it. He, um, well, again, that Māori angle, and when Tony left, he had worked on the show for a long time with 158 cast, and at the leaving party, when they did a full-on haka with 50 people, he was in tears. 
and they went around and hugged him individually. The hugs took about an hour because they walked to the front of the line to hug Tony. He's an incredible, incredible director. He's very open-minded, so if you throw an idea at him, he, he will always you know, weigh it up to see whether it's the best one. And he loved the show, he loved the cast, he loved the country, and yeah, he, he cried when he left. So. Awesome, oh, I've got to yeah. go, Justin, it yeah. sounds incredible. Musical comedy City of a Hundred Lovers plays at Auckland Sky City Theatre. You've got a chance to go and see it too, it's going to be on for a while. Check out the website on screen. For so it was fairly obvious in those um, early days that there was no expectation that the show wasn't going to do well mm. or that anything untoward was going to happen with the plan to be a permanent fixture at Sky City. Uh, it was produced by Ji Hong Lu of Templar, which labels itself as, quote, a single-family office operation based in Auckland, New Zealand, exclusively focused on our family wealth preservation and capital growth with a global perspective. Whew, sounds flash. Sounds super Doesn't flash. actually mean anything though, does it? What is, what is, where did I read? Family wealth preservation. <laughs> I'd like to know. Anywho, so they're brand new players in the market of professional theatre, although Lou uh, apparently in his younger days was a concert, concert pianist. At the time, 2018, Lou intended for the show to run for at least nine months, and if that proved to be viable, he would then uh, take it on as something that had an indefinite future. Um, in terms of an ending, you know, run run yeah. indefinitely. Remembering that this was all pre-COVID, of course, the focus was on selling to the tourist market. Tourism Minister Kelvin Davis was at the first preview performance. If it had been successful, it would have been a game-changer for industry professionals. It would have provided stable employment in a, in a performing arts sector, largely defined by short or one-off gigs. Um, Auckland Theatre Reviewer wrote... This is James Winley. He said, to achieve this, Templar needs to have a product that audiences will love, a must-do for anyone staying in Auckland. And it needs to be a show that locals feel represents who they are, so they'll be proud to take visitors to see it. A show that they can point to and say that our theatre can compete with the best from anywhere else in the world. This is true. But it is not in the case with City of a Thousand Lovers. No. Uh, City of a Hundred Lovers, I beg your pardon. In one of the show's first reviews for theatre scenes, City of a Hundred Lovers was slated. Another quote from James Winley. Despite the $8 million budget, a trifle for Broadway shows, but eye-watering in the New Zealand context, the production values are underwhelming. Lights go up in the first scene to reveal limp hanging pieces of fabric displaying washed out projections of a New York cityscape. Where an alternative version of the show might begin with a high energy company opening number depicting the bustle of New York City hustle to contrast with laid back New Zealand, we get a staid scene of Sally accepting the assignment and a subdued I want song. There is some promising visual inventiveness when the set moves away and the character is suspended in the air for her long-haul flight while dancers in sheep costumes perform a ballet below. The show's first sheep joke inevitably arrives within the first two minutes. And as for the closing number, set on a bare stage with a costume parade of everything we've seen before, well, that's spectacle light too. 
scathing, I would call that, from James Wenley. Yeah. To be fair, all four of the audience reviews on TripAdvisor were five-star. One, and I quote, Went to see it with my friend a few weeks ago. We don't normally watch musicals, but this one is on for every night, so it was a good option for us. Surprisingly, we both enjoyed it so much. It was funny, informative, engaging, and we felt that it showed a true Kiwi style. Heaps of easy-to-understand Kiwi humour. Highly recommend it to both visitors and people who live in NZ. Did all four of the reviews sound (laughs) vaguely similar? Yes. Yes. Okay, now interestingly, try as we definitely did, well, as Mel did in particular, because she's much more of an investigative journalist than I am, (laughs) there really wasn't very much media around the closing of City of 100 Lovers. There's one paywalled Herald article, but because we're both broke, the the most we can really (laughs) tell you is that the show closed suddenly in February of 2019, leaving the entire cast, crew and contractors seriously out of pocket after playing for months to nearly empty houses. How dispiriting could that be? Oh, imagine being one of those contractors. Mm. And you might think that the story ends there. But but wait, there's more. There is absolutely more. This is where the story gets even more interesting. So remember Ji Hong Lu, the investor producer guy that I mentioned earlier? Uh, He has a whole colourful past that includes a failed plan to redevelop Auckland. He was a part of um, the beginnings of the Britomart redevelopment. Oh, really? Um, But he got pushed out of that eventually for some reason. Uh, He has fines for business practices in Shanghai and an involvement in an offshore tax haven in Bermuda. At the time, the Herald wrote, Since his bankruptcy, Lou has kept a low profile in New Zealand, appearing in neither the business press nor society pages for more than a decade. He has only re-emerged into the Auckland limelight in the past few years, attending polo matches and establishing an Instagram presence heavy on shots of his 25-metre super yacht. His super yacht. Mm. Uh, I like that from the Herald. I don't like everything from the Herald. When Ji Hong Lu was reached out to in March of 2019 after the show had closed, he told media that he was in Tokyo receiving treatment for late stage cancer, uh, including chemo and radiation. Once he won that battle, he intended to remount the production in order to make good with the people he owes money to. And Sky City confirmed that they were indeed talks with him on remounting. Now, you see, this is absolutely (laughs) weird and kind of insane because how could Sky City be interested unless they had an ironclad, you pay us, you get one person in the audience, we don't care, you pay us, you know, the the normal rent for mounting your show, we're quite happy to have you come in. Um, But it seems like, you know, wouldn't they, it reflects on them as much as anybody if if there's a show on in their theatre and it's a dud. When people aren't going. But surely that's how you make the money back, right? Ticket sales. Yeah. That's the point. So, yeah, I mean, you, you don't do a show f- hoping that it's going to be a flop unless you're enacting the plot line from the producers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Actually. <laughs> which <laughs> makes you wonder maybe if there's a subtext that we're not certain of. Funny you should say that, actually, Does because... Uh, it, I think it is. We um, So I saw an interesting thread on Reddit that further along in the comment chain, it actually mentions that sound, sounds like the producers. But um, there was another comment there on this Reddit thread that implied the show could be a front for money laundering, potentially. Oh. Uh, and at, at first you read that and you think there's just no way that that could be possible given how much money that was lost. But... How else does one explain the phenomenal catastrophe that ended up being City of 100 Lovers? 
you know, in a, in a city the size of Auckland, to have a show that potentially was going to be so good for so many contributors for so long, go completely belly up and be such a dog of a show that nobody wants to come and see it. The, the triple down effect for you know, trickle down effect for everybody is devastating. Oh, even uh, ju- just if you're just thinking about the sound tech who didn't get paid one week. Yeah. You know. Or for several weeks. Or people that provided, uh, you know, set materials or um, spent time on choreography or music production, all that sort of stuff. That's right. I don't think anyone intends to explain at all uh, because, as we know, COVID hit the world around the end of 2019. Remember, this closed in February of 2019. Yeah. And the live events industry really hasn't been in a state for anyone to receive any production or revive any production since then. So maybe Sky City said, yeah, look, you know, if you want to remount it sometime, we, we might be in. Yeah, so for him, that would have money. been enough to say, yes, yes, they're definitely in talks. But you Potentially, know, yeah. I would take that with a huge grain of salt. Yes, a massive chunk of it. I did do a bit of a research deep dive, but the internet hasn't seen mention of Ji Hong Lu since August of 2019. I, found, I think I found his Facebook page, but there's been no posts or anything since um, August 2019. Uh, a quick Google search this morning provided... A, information on the appointment of a Hamilton-based administrator under the Insolvency Act for the deceased estate of Ji Hong Lu. So, assumedly, Ji Hong did not recover from his battle with cancer, but I couldn't find anything else to confirm or deny that. Well, that notice of administration appointment uh, was dated May the 5th of last year, so if you happen to be listening (laughs) and you happen to be one of those contractors who has lost a bit of money to City of 100 Lovers, there might still be time to contact the estate's administrator. Not hard to find. No, they're not you hard can, to find. You can contact us, we'll pass it on. Just a little Google search. <laughs> and if you're not one of those people here, have this. Have you known the dreadful power of absinthe? The green fairy makes every man a visionary. So drink, 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 rage, and forget. Party girls, they don't get hurt, can't feel anything. When will you learn? You must push it down, you must push it down. I'm the one for a good time, call phones blowing up, ringing your doorbell. You feel the love? You feel the love. Tonight, on, 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 on
Good rousing finish. Chandelier from our Musical of the Week, Moulin Rouge. You're backstage with Mel and Mike on Free FM 89.0. I love a good theatre scandal, the one that we've just been talking yeah, about. Me it's too. just pr- pricked up my senses in every respect. It's not very often that you get one on that sort of scale here in New Zealand. I, I can't think of any anything even close to that. No. You know, we've had failures. We've had, you know, people run off with the with the suitcase of money at the end of the show, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, millions of dollars lost, heaps of employees out of pocket, uh, people really pissed off, a bombed show at a dead investor. Uh, you know, if you think about it, that's a really good plot for a good musical, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned, the, the, pro- producers. You mentioned the producers. I think we could, I think there's a sequel or something there. <laughs> Um, I did try really hard to find some footage or even sound recording of City of 100 Lovers, but it really has almost disappeared into obscurity. And that alone is really weird because you normally, <clears throat> you, if any show that is even in development, there'll be video footage, there'll be recordings of cast doing something. I'm sure that they got to the stage where they're thinking we, we should do an original cast recording. Yeah, well, there are, oh, well, that's what I thought, so I checked on Spotify, but nothing. But uh, there are a couple of. Uh, promo videos that they must have done at the time which shows a little bit of the show and I'm not sure if the music that they've used for their promo is music from the show because it's just music so I don't know I'm really interested in delving a bit deeper I wonder if somebody in equity could point us in the right direction to find somebody who may have that sort of material well you're in you're in radio Mike (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I'm busy doing other stuff Um, okay yeah we'll we'll dig into it if if there's a a part two to the story we'll do our very best to bring it to you and while speaking of uh, enjoying musicals let's give you something now that we can tell you all about for sure because I know that she's itching to uh, open up the books and tell us all about it Mel has been digging deep into Moulin Rouge as well our musical of the week and she has all the details right now now so Moulin Rouge is a jukebox musical with a book by John Logan the musical is based on the 2001 film of the same name directed by Baz Luhrmann Uh, that's probably the version of Moulin Rouge that you're most familiar with it's I'm not going to say this French word right uh, Mike can you say it Belle Epoque no before that it's set in the Montmartre Montmartre Oh, the Montmartre. 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 It's, Montmartre. A, it's set in Paris during the Belle Epoque at Montmartre. the turn of the 20th century. Montmartre. Montmartre. <laughs> the musical relates to uh, relates the story of Christian, a young composer who falls in love with cabaret actress Satine, who is the star of the Moulin Rouge. Similar to the movie, the musical score weaves together original songs with pop music, including songs that have been written in the 17 years since the film's premiere. In case you haven't seen the movie, I'll give you a quick rundown of what happens. 
As the show opens, the Moulin Rouge Cabaret Club, where all your dreams come true, is in full swing under the direction of Harold Ziedler, flanked by dancers. The romantic male lead, Christian, arrives at the Moulin Rouge with fellow bohemians Toulouse and Santiago, the Argentinian. The money-motivated Duke of Monroth is there too, and Christian narrates a story about love and a woman named Satine. The musical flashes back then to Christian's arrival in 1899 to Paris from England, where he meets Toulouse and Santiago, who are attempting to create a play with songs in it. The two are impressed by Christian's musical and songwriting talents and ask for help to get their work produced at the Moulin Rouge. Back at the Moulin Rouge in present time, Satine performs for the club and Zedler prepares for her to meet and impress the Duke of Monroth, who might invest in the Moulin Rouge and save it from financial ruin. But in a classic case of mistaken identity, Satine thinks that Christian is the Duke and invites him to come to her dressing room in the elephant outside of the club. Uh, her room is shaped like and an elephant. And of course the Duke said, no, 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 you've got the wrong person. <laughs> oh, no, wait, he didn't. Yeah, well, I, I, I know very much in the movie he, he sort, I mean, he tries... I would argue that he doesn't try hard enough. Anywho, <laughs> um, not long after that, we find out exactly how dire the situation is for the club. Basically, if Satine can't make the Duke fall in love with her and believe that she's in love with him, life for everyone at the Moulin Rouge is over. It's also when we find out that Satine suffers from consumption, or more commonly known today as tuberculosis, and she's keeping a big old secret from everyone. Naturally, there's the comedy of Christian arriving in the elephant, hoping to impress Satine with his musical talent, with Satine prepared to seduce him, still under the impression that he is the Duke. Christian's true identity is finally revealed, but the real Duke interrupts them, and the line is that they are practicing lines for a new show, Bohemian Rhapsody. <gasps> With Zidler's help, <laughs> as if they made it up themselves, mm. with Zidler's help, Christian, Satine, Toulouse, and Santiago pitched the show to the Duke, and that was our opening song, The Pitch, uh, yep. or So Exciting, uh, with an improvised plot about an evil gangster attempting to woo an ingenue who loves a poor sailor. The Duke loves it and decides to financially back the show. Meanwhile, Zidler reminds Satine that her duty is to keep the Duke happy for the sake of the Moulin Rouge. During the sadness of Christian that ensues uh, when she says, I can't be with you, um, Toulouse urges Christian to return to Satine and confess his love for her, insisting to him, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And so we end Act 1 in this idyllic state of our two lovers being reunited for now. Act 2 opens and it's two months later. Rehearsals are underway for Bohemian Rhapsody and the lovers continue seeing each other in secret. Christian still has no idea about Satine's illness with consumption or tuberculosis. As the company rehearses, tensions rise between Toulouse and the controlling Duke. Backstage, the dancers are worried about Satine and what the Duke might do to her if he finds out about Christian. With an inkling that Satine's heart does not yet belong to him, the Duke tells Satine that if he, he wants every part of her, including her heart, despite Satine's protests that she does not fit in with the upper-class society of Paris that he inhabits, he remodels her image accordingly against her wishes. Back in rehearsals, it becomes clear that Bohemian Rhapsody is a metaphor <gasps> for the lives of Christian, Satine, and the Duke. Oh, I see. Yes, which results in an outburst from Christian. The Duke, enraged, threatens to reconsider his investment entirely, which is when Zedler reminds Satine that she alone can fix the whole problem. Her illness worsens, but she wants to fight to keep the Moulin Rouge alive and for the play to go on. 
At his castle, the Duke tells Satine that if she's ever with Christian again, the Duke will have him killed. Mm. When Christian turns up to win Satine's affections, she tells him that she does not love him once again, and he leaves. In what's probably the most sad and epic finale number uh, uh, in a musical, Christian decides that without Satine's love, he will load a prop gun with real bullets and commit suicide on stage during the opening night of the play. While this is happening, we see that Satine is bordering on the verge of death. She's getting sicker and sicker. But she finds it within her to stand up to the Duke who leaves the Moulin Rouge before the performance begins. And before Christian can pull the trigger, Satine is able to start singing their secret love song to him, uh, all at once saving his life and revealing to him that she loved him the entire time. After a final song together in which the two affirm their love one last time, Satine tells Christian to tell a story and subsequently dies in his arms. I mean, she's got consumption. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, uh, I'm sad. Mike's really invested here. Yeah. Uh, A year later, Bohemian Rhapsody turns out to be a massive success and Zedler regains control of the Moulin Rouge and the curtain closes. Oh, but poor Christian. Poor Christian, right? Carrying on after all of that. And putting oh. the show on and telling the story. And that Duke bloke. Yeah. What a dick. What a character to play, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, tell me about it. Oh, yeah. I'd be into that. Yeah, I'd be well into that. Well, <laughs> I can't because I'm a girl. But um, so, Moulin Rouge began preview performances in June of 2018 at the Emerson Colon- Colonial. Yes, I was. I looked at this word and went, Colonel, uh, at the Emerson Colonial Theatre in Boston and competed completed its limited run in August of that same year. Uh, It's pretty common for a show headed for Broadway to do a little test run in Boston. Following that, the show then opened again on Broadway at the Al Hirschfeld Theatre in June of 2019, and that featured the same cast, uh, Aaron Tveit as Christian and Karen Oliver as Satine. In March of 2020, that production was suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, And then production officially resumed on September the 24th of 21. In April of 2021, Karen Oliver announced that they would not return to the show once it reopened as a protest of the industry's silence on on the allegations of abuse and bullying against theatre producer Scott Rudin, who, just to be clear, is not a producer on Moulin Rouge. No, in the business. In the business, yeah. yeah. In, a, in an Instagram video, Oliver stated, social justice is more important than being the sparkling diamond. Oh, good on her. Yeah, love that. In September 2019, a 10-week engagement in Chicago at the James M. Nederlander Theatre was announced. That national tour was postponed a few times also due to COVID, but now the tour is kicking off uh, this month in 2022. Moulin Rouge then debuted in the West End in January of this year and has been nominated for five Laurence Olivier Awards this year, including Best New Musical. And if you're itching to get back out into the world, like some of us are, uh, Moulin Rouge is showing right now at Melbourne's Regent Theatre and it's opened in 2021 uh, and is just running until it stops running until people stop buying tickets <laughs> um we mentioned i mentioned earlier or maybe mike did that there are a few differences between the stage show and the film and i was going to tell you all about them uh because uh, i mean they're just uh, they're just interesting changes that i'm not sure why they made you know um originally the play that they write is about a maharaja and she's a um a courtesan from and it's all set in india and that's why the elephant is important and um, oh, I see. Yeah, I so get there's that. little yep. bits and pieces that i'm not 100 percent sure why they made those changes but you know and making 
a stage musical from a film musical is normally it's the other way around. You know, mm. normally you make the movie based on a stage musical, but this yeah. time they've written the stage perform the stage creation uh, based on the on the movie that was so successful with uh, people like Nicole Kidman in it, in it and uh, Hugh Jackman was in that. Was uh, it? Oh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Ewan, okay. and, yes, and they're fabulous. Right, yeah. You should um, watch it. And other big names, plus all the, the contemporary music in it and everything, I think caught people by surprise as well because there was this sort of, you know, turn of the century, turn of the 18th, 20th century, uh, 19th, 20th century um, sort of staging, but with all this modern music and people go, what? How can that be? Yeah, that's right. But um, I, I would guess that when you look at what's done in the movie, you've got to find ways of creating uh, similar... Um, flow or similar effects or similar mm. feelings from an audience but do it within the confines of, of something live and happening in front of you rather than you know, I mean they updated lots of the songs you know like I said and because it's a lot of music that's been released in the last 20 years yeah um, just like yeah I'd be interested to know why they made those little plot differences mm. I guess you know the um, the Argentinian Santiago the Argentinian in the movie he's narcoleptic he's the narcoleptic Argentinian and he uh, I think he's a comedy device and he falls All asleep right. everywhere yeah. um, so he's slated to play the lead in the show with Satine and he falls asleep keeps nodding off he falls asleep, and which is why Christian ends up having to play the role. So he's never actually meant to go on stage. He's oh, well, he was it, just the writer. It's a device. Yeah, it works. Yeah, 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 it works. So I'm interested to see the show. Um, and I, if you want to see the show, just pop over to Melbourne. Yeah, you can consider that now. It's yeah. it's on. Have you seen? Know anybody that's seen it? I do know uh, somebody who's seen it. Our friend Julia Turner and Libby saw it uh, when they were in America with the Junior Theatre Festival. Oh, so they saw the Broadway um, production. They saw Aaron Tveit and Karen Oliver. Ooh, that oh, would be something. So jealous. There's a picture of Libby um, <laughs> with with and Daniel Crookshank, in fact, um, with Aaron Tveit, and I'm so jealous. Oh, gosh. I'm so je- jealous of their little faces. With the stars. I would imagine that if Melbourne's doing it, it would be a good production, though. I think it will be. Uh, the advertising all over Facebook is. If, if the show is anything like the advertising budget, it's going to be good. <laughs> be a bit more than $8 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, I guess, is all she had to say about that? Yeah, I think so. But mm-hmm. I think you need to go and watch the movie, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, yeah, I'm, I'm tempted um, because we'll come clean on this. I have seen bits of mm, the movie. Yeah. And for I don't know why, but for some reason I've never caught up with watching the whole thing and then it kind of got became a bit old. I didn't really sort of give it another thought. And actually, when, you know, every week when we decide what our musical of the week is going to be, Moulin Rouge has been in that list that I've looked at and thought, ah, gee, I didn't even know that there was actually a stage show that was created. Now you've dug into it and can tell me all about that. Mm. But, um, I, it's one I've thought, yeah, I might go back and have a look at that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think I've been procrastinating long enough. Well, I feel like I've done enough to twist your arm today. And certainly, you know, the the presence of a really good villain for me is usually enough to make me think, yeah, hell yeah. I'll go yeah, that's the way to get so. Mike. If you want Mike to be interested in a show, tell him there's a really cool part that he might be interested in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could go on. In fact, um, oh, I will, will tell you a really good story, and this takes harks back to your poor Christian, um, about having seen Moulin Rouge, the film, when I was about 14. I went to school and found out my friend Amy hadn't seen it yet, so back to my house after school we went where she watched it for the first time with me was that on vhs or dvd oh it might have been on vhs VHS actually back then or if it was on dvd it was very new and we had a big chunky dvd player Mm -hmm. anywho um 
my mother arrives home from work or I don't know, sort of six o'clock-ish, and my, me and Amy are literally sitting in the middle of our lounge room, my lounge room, bawling our eyes, like <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> Poor Christian. <laughs> like literally sobbing. Um, and that was my friend's very first experience with Moulin Rouge. But so it is actually very sad, but it's also so epic. And oh, I love fun. you telling me that. I, lo- I love the fact that you're so invested in these things. It probably is an indicator <laughs> why you're so invested in, in live theatre because it has that effect as well. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a core memory. Uh, but before you wind us up for the day, because I can feel it coming along very soon, mm. do you have anything profound to say about 100 episodes of Backstage and us? I don't know about profundity certainly uh, no profanity but um, <laughs> like what I did there I do like uh, what you did there I am both uh, you know sort of mildly amazed and um, immensely proud that we've come this far thinking uh, you know what has it been two and a half years now that we've God, well, just on two, no, just on two years since we came years. up with this idea a little over two years and I thought at the time gee I wonder how long we'll be able to keep that up you know, yeah, especially we're if we're looking, people. looking at a, a different musical each week, looking at some aspect of theatre or performance or talking to interesting people, uh, it's going to test our resources, I think, to keep it going. Really to talk about? I thought maybe in a year's time we'll look at this and, and decide that maybe we don't need to continue. But two years on and a bit, and I have to say, you know, things are still sort of cropping up around us that make us interested, like finding out about this great, <laughs> controversy in this great scandal in Auckland about City of a Hundred Loves or what is it? Uh, yeah. City of a Hundred Lovers City of a Hundred Lovers I, I had no idea that sort of thing existed and I don't think I ever would have found these things out unless I was doing this show with you my friend so it oh. is um, it, it, it's those little treasures that are worth digging out it's also being able to have a yarn about the stuff that you're really passionate about the stuff you love and let's face it the last two years have also been rather testing they you know, sure we have. We really only just sort of put our toe in the water and suddenly we were told you've got to stay home for a bit. Yeah, we'd only done a few episodes <laughs> and then we got locked down. Um, I, I figure after having gone through all of that, I'm keen to see us get as far as show number 200. Yeah, yeah. why not? Let's give why it a go. Yeah. There's plenty to talk about and there's plenty going on in our community, especially um, the community here is growing, particularly with the... I guess we're up to must be up to the third or fourth intake of Wintech Performing Arts students. Um, yes, uh, and as aside to that, um, you know, it's great that Wintech is continuing the course. The, you know, the, the students going through the course are learning some really valuable, um, more than stagecraft. It's 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 about performing. It's about everything. It's the whole lot. Um, I, as an alumni from um, Toifukari, I get newsletters that come through from them by email on a regular basis and um, they have adapted all of their processes now to include uh, you know the online experience as much as the face-to-face experience and they were talking about how wonderful it is this year to be actually seeing students face-to-face again and, and carrying on but they've really looked at how they're running their whole curriculum yeah and how they're structuring their courses for this year and beyond it's reminded me that we as a group, uh, you know, people who, who do theatre, whether mm. it's administrative or whether it's uh, directorial, whether it's through dance, through song, through writing, through performing, whatever, are a pretty resilient bunch. You know, we we don't we don't it. take disappointment to heart. 
you know, you get knocked back. We do you, for a little while. Yeah, you do, you have a little weep and have <laughs> yeah. a gin or a whiskey or whatever, or just go for a walk around the block and then come back and think, actually, you know, I've got an idea. We can do something. <laughs> yeah, else, that's you know? right. So that is what really excites me about it. The number of people around me who are saying, you know what, this might be difficult, but I've got an idea. How Never about we going. do this? You know, and yep. the number of people that that inspire me through that attitude and that can do kind of feeling really uh, makes life worth living. Oh, I couldn't have put that better myself. That was oh, really nice. You can quote me if you wish. Well, I've got it all <laughs> recorded here in live action. Oh, well. Well, I love chatting about theatre with you, my friend, um, as well. And I love discovering new shows. I love talking about stuff that's happening all around the world, like you mentioned, because in times like these, we need a little joy in our life. And that's what theatre and doing this podcast is. It's joy. I love that. That's so concise. Yeah. It sparks joy. It's no, joy. No, no, I won't go there. But it is, it is joy. <laughs> It's joy personified. It is joy personified. Very nicely put. And on the note of that, thank you Free FM for hosting us and thanks Creative Waikato for sponsoring us. Backstage is available, as I mentioned way back in the beginning, uh, on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. I will be sharing all of our new content on our Instagram story and on Facebook. Come back next week for another hot musical. My turn to choose this week, isn't it? It is your turn. This one will be Mike. And another delicious theatre-related morsel. We'll dig up yet another story from around us. Um, Stay home if you're not feeling well and stay safe out in the community. Try to live your life as normally as possible and do support whatever performing arts are happening in your neck of the woods. Even if it you know, just means that you go to see a show, you're supporting and, and endorsing what people do. Go see that. a show and sit in your own little yeah. bubble. Uh, we are going out today with the iconic Come What May from Musical of the Week, Moulin Rouge. Stay classy, theatre nerds. See ya. Never knew I could feel like this. Like I'd never seen the sky before I want to vanish inside your kiss Every day I love you more and more Listen to my heart, can you hear it sing? Telling me to But I love you until the end of time Come what may Come what may I will love you
Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.